0: But if you can trade some of your busy time now and do the face-to-faces and the meetings and getting to know people, then your business is going to thank you in the future. Whatever you're doing now is going to affect how much business you have in 60 or 90 days. And that's such a core principle that I think we lose sight of sometimes.
1: Welcome back, friends. To the Business of Homes podcast. My name is Michael Conrad. I am a real estate entrepreneur here in Middle Tennessee. And I am fortunate enough today and many other days to bring you stories that surround and flow through the real estate business and really everything that surrounds a home. This is the Business of Homes podcast. And I am here to introduce Emily Daniel, who has been a friend of mine for a number of years and In that time, she has held a number of positions and roles and now vantage points on the real estate industry and really the business underneath and inside of it all. Thank you for being here, Emily.
0: Thanks. I'm so glad to be here.
1: I have been so impressed. You and I cut our chops back in the day, um, hustling at networking events, and it felt like for a while um, we were everywhere. And that was fun. It was like a little... Band of brothers and sisters who were sort of traveling from networking event to networking event to sort of maybe sell our wares is sort of a poor definition of it, but certainly to meet as many people as we could and expand our understanding of the business while we were trying to hope hopefully open doors for other people as well.
0: Wasn't that a crazy time? I feel like there were days I saw you three times a day (laughs) at different events. Where are we going tomorrow for lunch? You know, that was kind of what we did.
1: Well, I think ever presence is this essential piece of the, those early entrepreneurial days where you're like, I don't have as much to offer maybe as the person down the way. Maybe I'm new to real estate. I just got my license. How do I compete with, you know, the big guy on the sign? Well, be everywhere was be everywhere. my idea. And I was looking at you and say, wow, you you're going to everything. Okay. I got to hustle too. So yeah, that was fun.
0: I think another thing is, that I did in particular with social media And I really, people felt like they knew me through social media, which was great. And then when I saw them at events, even if they never used my services, right, they would still be like, Emily, tell me about this last place you went on a run. Tell me about the last race you did. That thing you kid said was hysterical. So it was kind of like I would create, I didn't create, I was just always very authentic. And people would relate to that. And even it gave a warm talking point, like if they use someone else for a home warranty, And they saw me in an event. They would still talk to me about something else. And by the way, warranties are not exciting. So I love to talk about other things. Yeah, I,
1: I didn't do that as well. I have to tip my hat to you. You navigated that difficult balance between creating a public persona that is also in reality your private persona, but not letting it be inauthentic or take over your life. I tried to keep those things separate for a long time. And I think in some ways- this podcast and the people that we've been fortunate enough to interview and the stories that even I've shared is a chance for me to sort of try to mix that public and personal personas better. You you did it better than me for a long time.
0: Uh, for a long time and still going. Still, still, still doing, doing it, better it better than me, I guess.
1: <laughs> but you haven't just stayed the same. And I think that's another piece of it. You can't just be ever present. You've got to continue to evolve, not only yourself with all the new knowledge and experience that you're gathering. But the offerings that you're giving to others. And you didn't just stay offering one type of service to the real estate community. You evolved into places where you were getting to connect to people in other ways. Talk to me about that.
0: Yeah. And it was the quote, I'll definitely butcher it, but it's something like evolve or die, right? Like, Mm. you know, no one's buying film. I guess there's a resurgence on film. So maybe that's a bad example, but no one's going to Blockbuster to rent a VHS tape or a DVD. And so it kind of um maybe some of my ADHD, and, which is a late life diagnosis and life-changing, honestly, to know that this is just how my brain works and it's different. But one of the things is I get kind of bored. And so because I was able to build some trusted, valued relationships, I was offered the chance to do other things besides just warranties. Um, one of them was published Nashville Real Producers or Real Producers Nashville for a few years, which was great. I got to go even deeper with some of my connections and network. And that was really fun. And and got to tell stories very similar to what you're doing here. And I love this podcast for that, because I think when people know you and they feel like they hear your story, it's easier to connect to them, whether that's a business relationship or something else. Mm. Um, I also am working with real tracks now, and that's been really fun and exciting to see a whole different side of the industry than I've been familiar with before. Um, So it's been just, quite honestly, a good time. And I'm always looking to learn new things and grow and expand my industry knowledge because I never want to be just one thing. I want to be someone that you look at and say, Oh, well, we could ask her about this, this, or this, because she's so knowledgeable of the industry as a whole.
1: A lot of our listeners here might find themselves being uh, kind of a one trick pony. Like I have been in the past. Maybe you've experienced elements of that where I have one service to offer And then you decide, no, I need to do more. I need to expand my understanding, expand my involvement, my service. And you begin to change your stripes. You said evolve or die. You've been doing it. How can we encourage those who are listening here to be open to taking on jobs that are nothing like what your core is? You went from warranties to basically publishing and public relations. And now you're getting to provide an incredibly needed framework in the whole industry. If you don't have a robust place in which for people to visit and see what's available to them, the MLS is the skeletal structure behind the scenes. If that's not healthy for all the ways that that looks, if that's not healthy, there's a bigger issue at hand.
0: Absolutely. And I think a lot of it for, for anyone listening, they're trying to diversify the things they offer, the things they do. I think so much of it is just being curious, right? Like I felt like I knew what the MLS did until I went to work there and I was like, oh, I had no idea what was happening here. And just learning, it has been fun to learn new things, but also just being open to things because, and I don't mean no disrespect to MLMs, but I don't mean that. I mean, find something in your core that you already know how to do and do that well. It's, if it's connecting with people, is there another way you can connect with people, the same people or different people and just kind of expand that network and just always be look, always be open, I guess. The first time Stuart White at Real Tracks called me to ask me to come on, I was like, oh, no, thank you. We just launched this warranty company. I don't think I can leave it now. It's a tiny baby. And then almost a year and a half, two years later, we had another conversation and I was like, okay, but I have to keep the warranty part because it's kind of runs itself to some degree. And he was like, that's totally fine. And I was like, oh. It's interesting because it's, it's very fascinating because I do these two full-time jobs plus other weird things. Like I still write for the real producers in Chattanooga is just a way to meet people. It is interesting because there are so many people that don't realize you can do two things or more than two things. I have one friend. Um, and she said to me, she's like, are you allowed to have two jobs? And I'm like, who's stopping me? (laughs) They all know about each other. They work well together. Who's who, who is this that would say no to that? So, um, very funny because you've, it's just, I think it's challenging the way people think. Mm. You think you have a full-time job, you go to it, you're 40 hours a week, and then you come home. And then that's never the life for me. So I'm always looking for new and exciting things.
1: Yeah, we're not, we're not trading time. And unfortunately, I do think that's the trappings that a lot of people fall into, where I got to go give my time and do this. Or there's other phrases that kind of slip into the conversation, like, I have to spend time on this or I have to give time to this. And ultimately, if we're really bound to this concept of time over value or over um, effect,
0: right.
1: then I think we, we, we really chain ourselves to the actual clock. And we know that the clock doesn't magically get less time or more time during the day. There's just a finite amount and it's kind of always fixed. And so if you're only ever dealing with, eight blocks of time or 12 blocks of time or even 24 blocks of time, you're never dealing with anything more of that. And so this concept of I'm going to trade my time for someone else or for something like money. And I think real estate practitioners, real estate agents at their best at their just pinnacle of doing their job. Well, have escaped the understanding that they are bound to time, that they are now moving into a place where they can have a big effect or they can, um, change how people view their own lives. You know, they can, um, have a positive influence on people changing a station from one house to another or divesting of something. And so I think that's a great encouragement for me that if we focus more on the effect that we're having, which of course is born out of relationship.
0: Absolutely. It was funny that you mentioned that about the impact realtors have on more than just selling or buying a home. When I was at the association, I would always say realtors sell more than real estate Hmm. because if you're moving here, you're asking your realtor, what's your favorite Mexican restaurant? Where are you, where's the best place to buy fresh produce? Where should my kids go to private school? Who's your favorite? What's your favorite music venue to go to? So realtors are selling everything. But the funny thing that I learned while I was publishing Real Producers is they sell the business a lot. Very, very many people that I talked to, very, very many people, a lot of the people I talked to, a lot of people said, they got into the business because their realtor had done such a good job. A few of them got into it because their realtor had done such a bad job. But overwhelmingly, it was like, I loved the thing my realtor was doing. And to kind of bring this full circle, I remember when I was on staff at the association, I was on staff at Greater Nashville for four years. And I remember meeting a warranty rep and she was on a couple of the committees I was the staff liaison for. And I thought, gosh, her job looks like so much fun. Like She gets to go out and have meetings and happy hours and lunches and isn't that a lot of fun and I was like how do I get a job like that and then I went through this course it was called investment in excellence Don Klein the CEO was very serious about putting us all through this course to really change the way we thought and it was basically like you hear these tapes in your head of the way you thought life should always be you work 40 hours a week mm-hmm. you have you get married and have two kids you live near your parents whatever it is that you the world's taught you or the rules aren't the rules. You're never going to reach your um, level of potential. I don't think anyone can actually reach their level of potential, but a lot of people stop trying because they're playing by these rules and tapes they have in their head was essentially this program we went through. And I will tell you, there was this, this is such a fun story for me. We got a sheet of paper, eight and a half by 11 standard sheet of paper. You folded it as many times as you could. And you wrote down, I think it's 12 or 16 items that you think are impossible for yourself. And at the end of it, it was like in a year, pull out this sheet of paper. And how many of these things did you accomplish? No, I'm still waiting on my beach house. <laughs> but a year later, when I looked at that, I'd switched jobs because one of the things I wrote down was I was a single mom at the time and I was like, I don't, I want to be able to pick my kid up. I don't want him to be the first kid at daycare and the last kid out of daycare. I want a job with flexibility. I was working at a job then that I had to be there at 8:30. And if I left one minute before five, I had to get permission. Oof. And that felt wild to me that I could work somewhere that wasn't like that. And I'd written that down. I'd never run a step in my life. And I had a coworker that ran a half marathon. I wrote down, right, run a half marathon. I've now run 81 half marathons. And so a year later, I looked at that and there were so many things that I thought were so far out of reach for my life, but were dreams. Or just like, if you can dream anything, what is it? And I had accomplished so many of those because I stopped with the limiting beliefs. So so much of it, I feel like comes down to self-talk. Did you want want a self-help novel with Emily today? Because this is what you're getting. It's good. Um, so I did, I did challenge myself on just the things that I believe, and this is a, not a one and done. I get up every day and I still have to, I don't always win the day, but I always have to think what things am I telling myself that aren't true or don't have to be true? Like what, what things have I subscribed to as absolute truth that aren't?
1: Yeah, I, I struggle sometimes with the sense that like I can just talk myself into positivity and I probably don't even struggle with it nearly as much as a lot of people do because positivity does tend to come easier for me. But this idea of writing down or codifying these tapes, these inputs, these limiting beliefs at the very least, you can start to wrap your intellectual mind around whether it is real or made up or just been given to you a long time ago. And again, this idea of time, we are constantly evolving from generation to generation, our understanding of work and play and family and effect and happiness. And all of these things are constantly evolving. And I think that previous generations have struggled with trading time. Previous generations have struggled with defining happiness as we now would define it. And so I I think that business when it's at its best is making you happy along the way to give you time and freedom to be happy also doing other things. And for fear of sounding, you know, like a millennial, I think that, you know, happiness quotient, whatever that means, is probably one of the nobler sort of pursuits. At the very least, it makes this very difficult life more pleasant.
0: <laughs> it really does. It's funny you touch on the generation thing. I was talking to my therapist recently, therapy, everyone should go to it, makes right. you a wholly better human. Uh, but we were talking about this idea where, you know, our parents, we could just start a podcast about being millennials, but yeah. our parents didn't care about work-life balance because it was never a concept they thought of, right? And to be fair, the business world rewarded them differently than it does now. Like my in-laws retired with pensions that's not, there's not a company giving you a pension now. That's crazy. And, but also we're not staying at a company for 40 years from the first job we take. And so she and I were discussing and she said, you seem to have good balance to work as much as you do and do as many things you do. You have good balance. I'm like, I feel like our generation, I'm 41, born in 81, definitely an elder millennial, which makes me want to cry, but I am an elder millennial, but I feel like it was our generation that was the first one to really hear about and embrace this concept of a work-life balance we were the first to think oh I don't have to chain myself to a desk or a factory or an assembly line for 40 hours a week this could look differently and I might work when I left greater Nashville to sell warranties I remember thinking I'm working so much harder than I did before (laughs) but it's when I want to and I can pick my kid up from school and this is so amazing. And I love it so much. And I might work two hours at night or two hours on a Saturday. And I remember just having to reset how I process time and work. I think realtors often get caught up in just always working for fear. Like they're not taking Mondays off or Sundays off for fear of losing business. And I think the really successful agents out there are setting those boundaries. You might have to pay your dues to be able to set the boundaries. But I think the top people realize that. None of this is worth it if you're not having a good time. If you're not happy, none of this is worth it.
1: Yeah. And I'll tell you, work is not all the same. I mean, there is real identifiable planting of seeds. There is real identifiable cultivating of leads. And there's real identifiable harvest. But so many people, probably in many industries, but I I see real estate most, are busying themselves. I guess the the agriculture analogy would be that you're sort of like you're puttering around the farm or whatever. They're sorting it is. their seeds. Right. You're not I, even planting them. I mean, it it's might be beneficial for the farm, but it's not beneficial for reaping a harvest. And ultimately, that's what it really has to come down to. You have to be creating relationships and planting seeds and cultivating those leads of over time. And so that's an encouragement. I mean, that's a classic, like one finger pointed out and four or five fingers pointed back or however many fingers I have in my hand. And I need that too as a constant um, reminder that the busyness quotient is not an effectiveness you know, result. You have to be able to set aside time for each individual action so that you can be moving the process forward. And again, time is just this, it's so difficult. I mean, how many of us have, gotten at the end of the day and been like, oh crap, I can have an entire other workday amount of hours. Every day. Yeah, basically every Every day. day. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And never get accomplished. And yet I'm not feeling that drudgery and that fatigue. And it's usually because there's either a mixture of I'm enjoying what I'm doing or I'm getting to see the results out of making sure I'm spending the time in the right places.
0: It's fascinating because I say all the time, especially with warranty reps that I've worked with in the past and then... In a lot of jobs that I've had, I see people want so badly to work and to feel like they're working. And so they will fill up a lot of their time with busy work and that busy work. is never going to, to have a harvest. It's never going to bring you the success you want. So I am an extremely efficient human. So I'm I, I see people do things and I'm like, I remember one time the first warranty company I worked at, there was a whole section in our training manual about organizing your car. And I was like, I think if we're hiring people who need to be told how to organize their car, we're hiring the wrong people. We're going the wrong way. <laughs> they are not <laughs> the people we want building relationships because it is like you could work forever. But I see, and I do see a lot of agents do the same thing. You see the, the agents um, at the same open houses, you see the same agents at the same places, and they seem like they're working a lot. And they probably are working a lot. And I think we're designed to want to work a lot mm-hmm. as humans. Mm-hmm. But you have to work on the right things. And mm. I see so many people just doing some busy work. I'm just going to clean up my website. And once my website's ready, I'll be ready. And I'm just going to organize my database. I can never do those things, those are not skills I have. Mm. But I see people just spend so much time getting ready to get ready to do something when it's always better just to do it.
1: Yeah, th- this is key because I have seen this in a number of sort of service-based industries. And that is you get attracted in, maybe you see some element of the business or the job that you really like, but going out on your own means running your own business. And not everyone is prepared, equipped, or has the mental capacity to sort of stay on target, work on the right things, be effective like you're talking about. And that busyness kind of starts to come in to make us feel good, like we're not failing at what we've set out to do. And so I think it's an important reminder that the selling of real estate, writing contracts, showing houses, understanding people's needs, CMAs, that is the doing part. And there is an entire business and entrepreneurism and practice around that, that shouldn't be taken lightly. And quite honestly, you might get it along the way, but that's a bit of a rolling of dice. You need to be pursuing the knowledge not only about how to write contracts and how, what zoning requirements are but you need to be understanding the practice around that and no, organizing your car is probably not on that entrepreneurial list of skills list. that you're going to need to be successful and yes being out there and hustling always feel good but there is different types of hustle.
2: Hey everyone, it's Jake, director for the Business of Homes podcast. I hope you've been enjoying today's episode, starting with Emily's evolve or die mentality, her balance between working two full-time jobs, and how she created a life of efficiency. When we return, Michael and Emily dive into how to expertly manage your time, how what you do now will affect how your business is doing in 90 days, and why you should not only focus on what you are good at, but more importantly, focus on what you enjoy. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Business of Homes Pod, where you can interact with us and see some great bite sized pieces from all of our episodes. For you listeners out there, did you know our entire podcasts are filmed and are on our YouTube channel? Check it out next time you want to see our amazing guests tell their stories. And are you currently watching this episode in video format? Don't forget to follow us on your preferred audio streaming service to take us with you on the go. Lastly, do you have any feedback or want to suggest someone for the show? Email us at thebusinessofhomespodcast at gmail.com. Please enjoy the rest of today's episode with Emily Daniel. Let's get back to it.
0: Leveraging, right? Like you have to leverage yourself. There are things I'm not good at, that I will leverage out to someone else. And I see the really successful agents and really successful business people, not just real estate, but anyone who's successful in business, they know when to leverage things out. They know that, I just said, my skill set's never gonna be organized in my database. So I will farm that out to someone else who can do it more efficiently and faster. And I'll focus on things I do well, which is connecting with people. And I see, especially, again, like you, real estate's the industry I know the the best. Mm -hmm. And I see the top agents they're really good at that. They've got, they've got an admin. They've got a social media person. They've got um, someone who helps them create content. They've got a contract to close person. They know when to ask their broker questions. They have a showing assistant. They have a buyer's agent. Like You get to that point where, and it's funny because the question I hear when I would lead panel discussions and conversations around real estate, the question I always got most was when do you hire someone to help you? Yeah. And every agent's like way before you think you need it, right. even if it's just a contract to close person because you get to leverage your time. Some of that comes along with letting go a little. So you have to know which things you can let go of a little if it gives you more time to do that revenue generating activity, which is be with people.
1: Now, it's a a real thing for the two of us who are not currently practicing real estate agents to give (laughs) this kind of advice. But I I do like to play the game like if I was a real estate agent, how would I do it? Like uh, with myself sometimes. I feel like I've
0: learned so much from the amazing agents I work with that I feel like I'm pretty good at this game.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like. I could play the virtual reality version of being a real estate agent, definitely.
0: Definitely, and I don't wanna do it. So for the record, of all the jobs I have, I don't wanna be a real estate agent.
1: But I will say there are some easily identifiable things right in the beginning that I think comes down to, interestingly enough, trading time. We're kind of back at that concept. Contract to close is an easy example to sort of attack because it really kind of does come down to a specific set of actions over a relatively specific set of time. You have to fill these things out, you have to file this, you have to keep these schedules. Those are the actions. And then you have to do it over the course of 15, 30, 45, 60 days, there's a specific set of time. And so if you know what the actions are and you know the time, how much are you not doing else that you could be doing
0: if you're doing this? The number of times I see people it's fascinating because kind of in the warranty business, I can see the cycles of things. Mm. And so it's fascinating to see um, realtor A will have six closings in, in six weeks and then not anymore for six months. And I would attribute that to, again, this is virtual reality real estate. <laughs> I would attribute that to they got so in the weeds with those six deals. Oh, yeah. And they probably weren't using someone to help them. And then their pipeline dried up because Mm -hmm. they weren't actively working their relationships in their sphere. And so I, I feel like that's the big thing, right? It is trading that time. It is finding ways to hack things. I'm really good at hacking things because I just, you've got to get done quickly because we can do the important things. Um, not, not a coaching plug, but I do know my friend Kendra cook is the head trainer for the real estate. It's definitely not her title. It's definitely better than that for the core and the core's whole model for realtors and lenders is FaceTime not on your phone, but face-to-face time, breaking (laughs) bread with people. That's the thing they measure. They don't measure how many deals did you do? I mean, they do because they track everything, but they measure the biggest contributions to success for them is how many people did you meet with this week?
1: Yeah, and ironically enough, you can trade the time you would spend, not the time you spend. You can trade the time you would spend to now go focus on something that's gonna have a bigger effect. That feast or famine or roller coaster example that you gave, In the service, sort of home inspection, pest control, construction service industry, that is a very O2 familiar cycle that you get out there and you meet a lot of people and then you get a lot of leads, you go do all the jobs, and then you're out of of work and you got to go back and start the cycle again. And it's really difficult on... Uh, your anxiety—it's really difficult on your relationships around you. It's really difficult to scale. If- it's
0: really difficult mentally. Yes, like it really because you're on a high of being—I've done so much, I'm doing so well—and then you look back in 30 days and you're like, "Where did that all go?" I said, so "That's a tough mental game." Yeah, when there's a better way to do it by leveraging your time and trading time. It's funny. This is like a, I'm sure a sales principle. It's funny. I have a business coach, and she's like, "You're doing all the things instinctively." And you don't have names for any of the things you do. And I'm like, that's true. I don't. I just kind of, it's, it's, a, it's an innate skill. I have very few innate skills. I think zennials or
1: elder millennials or whatever you call them do kind of shirk traditional coaching and then kind of organically get to it on their own Absolutely. and then like pat themselves on the back. And it's like, you could have just shortcutted that. Right? I could
0: have just like read the book that told <laughs> me how to do it. And instead I'm like, I made this up all on my own. And she's like, you're doing this and this and this. And I'm like, oh. I didn't know that.
1: <laughs> and if it's in my case, it's like, and it took me three years to figure it out. And they're like, well, you could have read a book.
0: They're like, here's the miracle morning. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, look at me. I'm getting up early. Isn't that amazing? And they're like, there's whole books about that. It's not amazing. And I'm like, oh, well, it is for me. Uh, but one of the things I think is like a basic sales principle is whatever you're doing now is affecting your business in 90 days or 60 days. Mm, and I'm, I yeah. sold Pampered Chef when I had gotten out of college and I was actually working at Greater Nashville just to make some extra money, single momming it. And that was one of the principles, like you can get so caught up in the thing you're doing now that you don't have any, like I did, this is hysterical because I don't cook. I can barely make HelloFresh meals that come all (laughs) basically assembled. And I was selling cooking tools. So, you know, that's the kind of salesperson I am. Nice. And, uh, but I would tell them, I'm like, I've never used this thing. I use this pizza cutter to cut pizza that's already sent to me or whatever, but it was fun. I loved it because it was all about people. Right. And that's should have been my first inkling that I need to be in a people driven business. But that was one of the principles, like whatever you're doing now is going to affect how much business you have in 60 or 90 days. And that's such a core principle that I think we lose sight of sometimes. Because if you look around, you're like, I'm just servicing things right now. I'm not meeting with people. I'm not going to lunches. One of the things that warranties we track or who's ordering for us from us for the first time. And so I will realize I haven't been out Lately, I haven't done many coffees or lunches or whatever. And then three months from then I look, and I'm like, well, the numbers show it. So it's like such Mm. a, it's such a bedrock of sales that we kind of skip over sometimes. But if you can trade some of your busy time now and do the face-to-faces and the meetings and getting to know people, then your business is going to thank you in the future. So,
1: and, and honestly, all hours aren't created equal. Also all tasks aren't created equal. There are high level tasks, mid level, low level tasks. There are tasks that you can trade out for low number of dollars and tasks that might be traded out at a high number of dollars. If you are, you know, away for a couple of days and you need someone to help manage your um, listing, you know, that might come cheap because it's easy. But if you are looking for someone to co-manage the entire experience, that might come at a cost. If you are trying to get someone to manage paperwork again, we're back at contract to close, you know, that might come at a more uh lower quantified cost. And if you yourself can be going and planting seeds, which is a high value action, and you can trade and get that time back by giving away something that can be paid out in 20, 30, $40 an hour or less, you know, that is a good trade, good trade every day. And unfortunately- we all get in our own way. We think, nope, I got to do it. I got to know it. I got to make sure I service it in this way.
0: Or you get in a scarcity mindset. Yeah. And you're like, I can't possibly, like, you start to do the math. And you're like, if I paid out $500 for contract to close on these five deals, what else can I do with that $2,500? But you're not seeing that if you traded that time, yes. that $2,500 could become a $25,000 commission. Interestingly, and I think it's, you choose the things you love, right? So there is a really successful realtor in Franklin, and I had her on a panel and she said, I love all aspects of the business. I want to do my own contract to close. I want to do, I want to manage all of it. I don't want to buy birthday presents for my the birthday parties my kids are going to. I don't want to buy groceries. I'm not doing the dry cleaning. She's super successful. Her husband's super successful. And she's like, I want to do all the business, but I'm hiring a personal assistant to do all these other things. And I was like, that's such a great insight into your own mind to know like what are the things I'm good at. And not even the things I'm good at, because there might be things I'm good at that I actually hate doing, but I'm good at them. So the things you enjoy, do those. The things you don't enjoy, get someone else to do.
1: And you got to get some perspective because we all suffer from the reality of getting lost in our own like little bubble where we can't see what we're good at, what we're not good at, what we're efficient at, what we're not efficient at. If you have the gift of and the vantage point of already knowing that self-knowledge, good for you. But sidle up to a colleague, a broker, a friend, a spouse, and say, hey, what are the things I'm best at doing? What are the things I'm least efficient at doing? Where? Have, go back to your own data. Heck, let your data be your coach and say, where am I finding the best success? Where am I finding the least success? And sit with that. I, I definitely have, over the years, um, been someone who has focused on those piece of advice or what the data was saying, and I've also been blind to it at times. And I'm usually am going to find myself in the future, immediate future, in a good season, if I'm listening.
0: I usually willfully ignore those things. <laughs> like I know it deep inside and I will do everything I can to ignore the thing I know. Um, and then I'm like, oh, I have I'd have just done this when I first felt this tug to do it. Yeah. Some of it's just trusting your instincts, right? So some of that's like, I know the thing I need to do. I know if I do this thing, it'll grow my business. But the self-talk and talking myself out of doing those things. Oh my goodness. So I think you're right. And I think asking a variety of people, you know, ask your spouse, what do I complain about doing? Mm -hmm. What do you think it is that I hate the most about my job? And listen to what they say. It might match up with what your broker says or your business partner says that you're great at doing, but you hate. Or say like, what am I not so good at? What do you see me do that I should probably outsource to someone else?
1: Yeah. And and there's changes. There's changes coming in the wind. You know, none of us are guaranteed a static similar tomorrow. You know, this business is changing. Or tomorrow. Yeah. That's where
0: I thought you were going. I'm like, this is or tomorrow deep. at all.
1: Um, but you know, this business is changing fast. There's, you know, all sorts of stuff that's coming down the line that may completely change the way that we practice real estate and all the things that surround it. And the truth is, for anyone who might be listening here who has been around for more than five, 10, 15, or 20 years has probably seen three or four cataclysmic changes already. And so being able to know what you do best will help you understand what's ahead of you.
0: I remember seeing, I was on staff at Greater Nashville. I feel like, I told someone this other day, I feel like there are two times since I've been in real estate where it just kind of halted. One was 2008, yeah. the housing recession in 2008. I was on staff at Greater Nashville and it was like everything froze. It was like a game of freeze tag. And again, when interest rates went up last year, it was everyone just kind of, took a breath. I and literally was like, thought
1: you were gonna say the pandemic, but no, that did not happen actually. Oh, actually
0: it did happen in the pandemic for like a whole four days. Yeah. For like there a, were week. a whole four days. And actually this is where your RPAC dollars matter. If you're a realtor, you should give to RPAC because that the state was able to lobby to keep realtors as an essential worker. So they were able to keep going. And then we had no idea what was coming after that. Exactly. Uh, with the real estate world, and how it exploded. But I think the interest rates and it's been fascinating because it's there were so many people who started at the beginning of 2008, not knowing what was coming in real estate that were like, I, I'm going to find a way to be successful. And there were so many people who had been superstars until then that did something else. And so I think that's always fascinating when you want to do it, you're going to find a way. So I'm fascinated to see a year from now, the people who recently started in real estate, some of them are going to be our top producers because they've only existed in this market. And so I think that's a testament to everyone to just keep learning and growing and know don't let the outside forces affect how you run your business. If you're still doing that face-to-face time, if you're still doing the human connection and the relationships, whatever the rest of the economy and the rest of the world is doing, you have a solid foundation.
1: Boy, that is not only great advice, but an incredibly tough balance because especially for younger practitioners, younger realtors, I mean, it's this, do I listen to the way it was? Because there is the seeming benefit of, you know the wisdom that comes with experience, no doubt. Um, but there's also this, and I, it was in me, and I so I know it well. And that is like, everything that has come before now is basically a version of wrong. It's either wrong today or it's going to be wrong tomorrow. And so I need to cut my own trail. And so this real intense tug of war, I don't know if you feel it, but trying to figure out how to cut your own trail and make your own way but also borrow from the past. Oh, it saves
0: you so much time. If you can learn the lessons that have uh, been learned before you, yes. then you don't have to fail in the same ways. At Tracks, one of our core values is to fail fast and iterate always. And so I think I think about that all the time because I'm like, fail fast. If you're going to fail, fail fast and yeah. then iterate. Do it again. Yeah. Find another way to do it. And so that kind of it's really stayed with me since I started at Tracks about a year ago and just is, you're going to fail. That's fine. It's great. You're going to fail. And I think for super high achieving people like you, like me, like probably everyone listening, it's hard to accept failure, but the faster you accept it and try again, the better your business does, right? The better you are as a human.
1: Yeah. And I, I think we can't underscore that, you know, all of us have seen enough change to know what change looks like. All of us have had seen some element of success or failure in some part of our life to know what those feel like. We don't need to fear the change, fear the success or fear the failure because We are, we didn't just fall off the turnip truck yesterday, you know, kind of a thing. And so it doesn't matter if you're new in business, you have some of those feelings inside of you from something else. And so I have been someone who has prided myself on always being an innovator, but it feels like the inertia pressing against in 2023 about trying to continually come up with new ideas is so, so hard but it doesn't change the fact that it's still needed because the world's still changing.
0: And I think when you find that that's hard, like you've got to get around some different people, right? You've got to have more conversations and, and talk about things and, and don't be afraid to say like, I feel stuck and I feel scared and I feel like I'm failing. And you get around the people that go, yeah, you might feel that way, but have you thought of this? And have you thought of that? And I mean, we were talking about this before, like just ways our own businesses have grown and things we've tried and things that didn't work. But At the root of it all, it's always coming back to finding people you trust, finding mentors, finding someone you can sit beside and say, this is terrible right now. What am I going to do?
1: I love that the advice of like, when you have to innovate and you have to pick yourself up off the floor and keep going, the answer is people. It's people again. Like we're right back at the beginning. I
0: mean, I really feel like the answer to everything is people. (laughs) For me in my own life and business, like it's always people. Like if I'm not doing as well as I want to do, it's find more people, talk to more people. Who else can I sit down with? Who else is going to challenge me to think differently?
1: Man. I mean, we should probably just rename this podcast, uh, two extroverts because, (laughs) uh, we guess we think the answer to everything is people. So there you go.
0: Uh, no, any introvert listening is like, I'm turning this off.
1: (laughs) This is terrible. They said to sit
0: down with person again. I can't do it. (laughs) They're probably not listening. There's not not an introvert listening to us right now. Oh,
1: I hope that we get all types. (laughs) Emily, thank you so much. This has been so good. And honestly, I feel like we could keep going for hours. And I hope to have you back. Thank you so much. And uh, guys, this is the Business of Homes podcast. This is for you. This is your stories about the business that you love. And I hope you'll stick with us. Hit subscribe. Check us out. Um, on YouTube, if you would like to see what our smiling faces look like. Um, And of course, listen to us where you get all of your free range organic podcasts. We'll catch you next time.
0: Free range organic podcast.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everyone. Jake again, director for the Business of Homes podcast. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. A huge thank you to Emily Daniel for being a part of the podcast. Go follow her on Instagram at Emily P. Daniel and let her know how much you enjoyed her story. Don’t forget to subscribe on your preferred listening platform and make sure to follow us on Instagram as well at the Business of Homes Pod. Do you have any feedback or want to suggest someone for the show? Email us at the Business of at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you soon.